Tonight we are going to find ourselves in John chapter 17, verses 6, all the way down to verse 26, to the end of the chapter. And as we finish this tonight, we are completing the entirety of the Upper Room Discourse, the series that we've called The Parting Word. We've been in it for, for several months now. This is the end of it. Once we finish John chapter 17, we're going to transition into the scene of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and that's going to carry us out to the end of this book. So tonight, we find ourselves at the conclusion of this upper room discourse where Jesus is giving instruction to his disciples before he leaves. He's giving them his parting words before he leaves them behind. And specifically in this scene, we see Jesus praying for his fa- to his father for those disciples. He's praying to God. He's praying to his father for the men that he's going to leave behind, but he isn't just praying for his disciples. An essential note in this passage is that Jesus is praying for far more than just the 12 men around him. Look at verse 20 of John chapter 17. Jesus says to God, and he's been asking a whole bunch of different things, but he says this in verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. These are his 12 disciples. I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their, the disciples' word. In that statement, what Jesus says is, Father, I'm praying all of these things immediately in mind with these 12 disciples that are around me. But Father, I'm praying for far more than just them. I'm praying for everyone who who will believe in, in, in me, who will believe in your name. In other words, Jesus is praying in this scene for every single believer. In this scene, Jesus is praying for you. It is is no overstatement to say when Jesus prays these words that he has you in mind. And so, it is at the very least intriguing to say, if Jesus were praying for me, what would he pray for? This passage answers this question. Because in this passage, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's praying to his Father about all believers. And he asks for six things. He asks for six things. The first two we covered last week. Number one is keep them faithful. Father, keep them faithful. Look at the second half of verse 11. Jesus says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given to me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So in that statement, Jesus says, Father, I've been with these men for three years, and I've kept them in your name, but now I'm leaving. I'm returning to you, Father, and I'm leaving them behind. Keep them in your name. Keep them faithful. Don't let them walk away. Don't let them leave. Keep them in your name. Jesus asked that of the Father. And last week, some of the implications that we saw in this is not that that prayer request means you have no responsibility in remaining in the faith. You must stay faithful. You must remain faithful. But do so with the knowledge that the only way you could ever stay faithful is if God enables you to do so. That's the only hope you have in in staying in the faith. So that at the end of our lives, if we can say like Paul did, I have kept the faith, I've remained faithful, that is a testimony not to our ability, but to the grace of God in our lives. So Jesus prays to God, keep them faithful. And we take that challenge, remain faithful, knowing that it's only in the power of God that we can do so. His second request is keep them from the enemy. He asks that in verses 13 through 16. Jesus says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Look at this. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, 
but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. In that statement, Jesus says, I'm leaving, and I'm leaving them in the world, and I'm leaving them in a world that is hostile towards them because you, Christian, you don't belong here. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you don't belong here. You no more belong here than Jesus belonged here. That's what he says. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, Jesus says. You, that, that, that's a crazy statement. You are no more a citizen of this world than Jesus was. Look, you're, you're human, just as Jesus was human. But this is not your home. And so Jesus says, because this is not their home, you, you may have the longing to be removed from this home and, and to go to heaven. And Jesus says, my request for you is not, is not that you would be taken out of this world. You're in this world for a very specific purpose. Specifically, it's coming up to be sent to the world. So I'm not asking, Jesus says, I'm not asking, Father, for you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to protect them from evil while they're in the world. Jesus' immediate desire that's stated here is not that you would be snatched up from your life and be in heaven, but that one, you would remain faithful while you're here, and that two, you would stay away from the enemy. Again, stay away from the enemy, but know that the only way you can do that is if God enables you to do so. So Jesus directs his prayer to God, and he says, Father, keep them from the enemy. Keep them from evil. Keep them from temptation. Keep them from sin. Keep them from straying to where they ought not to go. Keep them faithful in your name and obedient to what you've commanded them. Those are the first two requests of Jesus. Tonight, we're going to cover numbers three through four. We're going to start in verse 17. The third request of Jesus, the third prayer that he has for his followers, is make them righteous with your word. Make my followers righteous, Father, with your word. What Jesus says in verse 17 is a famous, well-known passage. A lot of you will recognize this. But there's so much truth here that it's healthy for us to, to dwell on. Jesus says in verse 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus' request in verse 17 is really simple. It's just a few words. Father, sanctify my followers in the truth. That word sanctify means to make someone holy. Holy means, means set apart. Not like the world, but set apart from the world. Set apart to God. Righteous. Make them less and less like the world. Make them more and more like me. Cause them to grow in their faith and to grow in their obedience. Father, sanctify them. Make them holy. That is the path of the Christian life. To be made more holy. If you are a Christian, once you, the theological word we use is once you are justified, once God declares you righteous based on repentance and belief in his son, once you are a Christian, everything from that point forward 
is a process of your sanctification. You becoming more like Christ. So when Jesus says, Father, sanctify them, that's what he's saying. Father, make them more like me, Jesus says. Make them more holy. Make them more righteous. Make them more obedient. The question is, how is that process supposed to happen? How do we go about being made more holy? What is it that God uses to make us more holy? Well, Jesus tells us it's in his request. He says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Unless that be confusing, Jesus explains what he means by the truth in the next line. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. The truth is your word. In other words, Father, sanctify them in your word. Students, the tool that God uses to sanctify you is your Bible. When Jesus thinks of you, and says, Father, sanctify them, what comes to his mind is your use of the word of God. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Father, sanctify them in your word. Sanctify them with your word. Sanctify them by your word. Use your word, Father, to make them more holy. Sanctification is not an easy process. It's not. It's, it's hard. And it's a process that takes you all of your life. You never finish being sanctified. Hopefully you are being more and more sanctified until you're dead. But if you are not taking advantage of the word of God that you have in your hands, if you are not taking advantage of your Bible, you have no hope, zero. You have no hope of being sanctified. There is no ability to be made more like Christ outside of the Word of God. That is the tool with which you are sanctified. Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them in your Word. That's what Jesus thinks of when he thinks of your sanctification is the Bible. The Word of God that you have. The truth of God that you have access to. Are you, are you putting yourself in position to be sanctified? that doesn't happen with a closed Bible. Are you putting yourself in a situation in which you're saying, Father, I'm in your word, I'm in your truth, I'm studying your truth, and I need you to sanctify me with it. Look, the Bible doesn't sanctify you. God sanctifies you. But the Bible is what he uses to sanctify you. You are sanctified through his word. God is the active agent. The word of God is the tool that he uses to sanctify you, to make him more like his son. So, are you putting yourself in position to be made more like Christ? It's a really simple application. Be in the word. Be in the word. There is no hope for you as a believer to remain in the faith outside of the word. It's not. You must have it 
Without it, you're a soldier going into battle without a sword. You will die. When Jesus thinks of you, this is what he asks. Father, make them holy. Father, use your word to sanctify them. If you were to go to a doctor and he was to tell you that you were were, were sick uh, and that you needed a prescription, you needed a medication to get better. The doctor wrote you a prescription and you went to the pharmacy and you picked up that prescription and you came home and you put that prescription on your counter and you never took the medicine. You would have no ability to go back to the doctor and say, I listened to you, I went to the pharmacy, I picked up the medicine, and I'm still not better. Because the medicine on the counter doesn't heal you. You have to take it. No one would go to the doctor saying, you lied to me, you let me down, I did what you, you didn't, you didn't do what he said, you didn't take the medicine. The word of God is much the same. You cannot expect to be made more like Christ if, if, that, if that medicine, if the word of God is, is not being utilized, if it's just sitting on the counter. Spend time in the word and study the word, knowing that in it you learn, you know, you see God. You see Jesus. We are going to camp soon. And... Uh, Camp is a, is a special time where you, you're just, you're, you're marinating in the Word of God for like five days. You just, you just can't get away from it. It's like you wake up and it's time in the Word. And then you eat breakfast and, and you look around for a minute and, and all of a sudden we're in a session. We're singing the Word of God and then the Word of God is being preached. And then we go to small groups and discuss the Word of God and, and the same thing happens at night. I hope that you'll leave camp. One of the major reasons that we do camp is that you leave more encouraged and more challenged and more equipped to, to grow. Thus, to be spending time in the Word, to be knowing God better, to love and know Him more. And I can just encourage you guys a week out to not wait for camp, for that process to start. You will benefit from that process. But you will benefit so much more if you come in with a running start. Come in having spent time in the Word. Come in having put yourself in a position to be sanctified, to be transformed, to be changed into the likeness of Christ. Spending time in prayer, asking God, like Jesus does here, to do those things in you. Get a running start. Don't wait. If, if this is a gap in your life, start this tonight. Go home and begin placing yourself in the path of sanctification. Tomorrow morning, wake up and place yourself in the path of being made more like Christ. The Word does not sanctify you. Reading the Bible does not mean you will automatically become a better Christian. Become a more obedient Christian. It doesn't mean you'll automatically become more like Christ. But I can assure you that apart from the Bible, you will never be any of those things. So Jesus prays, sanctify them in your truth. 
Your word is truth. We need that because we're being sent out into the world. That's what Jesus talks about in verse 18, specifically his disciples in mind. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. It's an interesting statement by Jesus because Jesus was perfectly holy, right? Did Jesus need to be sanctified? Did Jesus need to be made more holy? I think what Jesus is talking about here in this passage is the active obedience that he continually displayed for his disciples continually obeying his father, submitting himself to his father, even building up favor with his father, modeling for his disciples what sanctification looks like, continual obedience, continual submission. And Jesus says, I've submitted, I've obeyed, I've gone through my, my whole life in perfect obedience to you. I'm sanctifying myself so that they will see what that looks like. Again, it raises the importance of studying the word because in it we see Jesus who has set an example for us. He was 100% man, and yet he did not sin. He was tempted, Hebrews tells us, he was tempted in every way, just as you are. And I think we downplay that a lot. We're like, really? Was he really tempted how I am because he was God? Yes, he was. He was tempted every way as you are, and he resisted sin every way as a man so that he could help you. So be in the word and study Jesus, your example. Be sanctified. Ask God to sanctify you in the truth, which is his word. It's Jesus' third request. Make them righteous with your word. Number four. Number four comes in verses 20 through 23. And Jesus' fourth request, Jesus' fourth prayer for his followers is, Father, keep them unified. Keep them unified. Jesus asks that in verses 20 through 23 with the following statement. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Okay, so in verse 20, again, just a quick reminder that in this passage, Jesus is thinking of all believers. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. What is Jesus asking for? He gives his next request in verse 21 that they all who believe in me, that they may all be one. That's the request. That's the request for unity. Father, I'm asking for all believers, and here's what I'm asking. I'm asking that they would be unified. Father, keep them unified. May they be, the way Jesus describes it, that they would all be one. That picture is that everyone who believes in the name of Jesus would not be scattered individuals going about their own agenda in their own strength, but rather that they would all be one cohesive body. That they would be unified, not divided, but that they would be a body, a unified body. To what extent does Jesus want this? For his followers. How, how close does he want us to be? 
when, when he says that they may all be one, how, how one is he talking? I want you to look at the measure of unity that we are supposed to have as those who believe in Jesus. Keep reading in verse 21. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. You know how unified Jesus wants his believers to be? As unified as Jesus is to the Father. Make them one, he says, Father, even as you and I are one. Make them one, Father, as I am in you and you are in me. Make them in us. Make them one. That's an incredible, incredible request from Jesus. As unified as God the Father and God the Son are. Look at, let's skip down to verse 23. He's, he's still describing this unity. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. How unified are we to be? Well, the term Jesus says is we are to be perfected in unity. Unified to perfection. Unified to completion. Unified to the point where we could not be any more unified. Why is that so important? This is actually, Jesus has mentioned this several times. If you look back up at the end of verse 11, Jesus mentioned it there as well. He's asking all of this that, that his followers would all be one. Why is unity so important to Jesus? Well, he explains that for us. Why is unity so important? Look at the end of verse 21. I'm praying for all of this, the unity, you and me, I and you, them and us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus wants the church to be unified for this reason. If the church is unified, the world will believe that Jesus came from God. That's what he says here. Father, I want them to be one. I want them to be unified. Because if they are, the world will know that you sent me, Jesus says. That's, that's the test that the world gives to the church. That if the church is truly unified, that that cannot go unnoticed by the world, but that the world will see the unity in the church and know that Jesus must be sent from God. Why? How do those dots all connect? Because Jesus Christ is the one that unifies us. We are unified because of our belief in Jesus. And when the world sees that, that Jesus Christ in us creates a perfect unity, then they will know that Jesus Christ is the difference between us and the world. They will know that Jesus Christ was not any other man, but rather that Jesus Christ came from God himself. That's what Jesus says here. Our unity has of utmost importance in Jesus' mind. I want to talk for just a second about what unity really is. Because I think some of you may feel like you are fairly unified in the church, and some of you are. But that feeling may be a little bit misleading. Unity is not the ability to get along with the people that you get along with the easiest. Unity is not the ability to get along with your closest friends. 
The unity that Jesus has in mind here is not a unity that's bound together by any other topic or thing except Jesus Christ. Interests do not create this unity. Passions do not create this unity. Gender does not create this unity. Age does not create this unity. Jesus Christ creates the unity of the body. And the body is one. All of the followers of Jesus are one because of their faith in Jesus. And that is a bond that cannot be broken. I want you to recognize that. that If you believe in Jesus Christ, and someone else believes in Jesus Christ, you have more in common with that person than any other unbeliever in the world. Because the single most important thing about you is exactly the same. And that's what unifies us. So Jesus prays, Father, may they be one. Just like I am one in you, you are in me. They must be in us. Keep them unified. So again, the challenge is there. Be unified. Don't let division come among you. But know all along that you can only do that if God's grace grants you the ability to do so. So we strive in his effort. We act with the awareness that we rely on him. Keep them unified is his fourth request. That brings us to his fifth request. His fifth request, this one's really cool. Father, bring them to heaven. Bring them to heaven. Jesus asked that in verse 24. This is an incredible verse. Follow along as I read that. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' fifth request, Jesus' fifth prayer for his followers is that that God the Father would bring them to heaven. Now, This doesn't contradict what was said earlier when Jesus said, Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world, but I want you to protect them from the evil one. Jesus has a plan, a mission for you in this earth, but Jesus' ultimate plan for you is that you would be in heaven with him. And so he asked this, Father, bring them to me. I want them to be where I am, he says in verse 24. Bring them to where I am. Now, when he says where I am, again, remember in Jesus' mind, he's, he's there. He is departing. He is on his way out. So when he says, bring them where I am, he's asking, bring them to heaven. Bring them to be with me. Why does Jesus want you to be with him? Why does he want you to be with him? It'd be, it'd be a fun question to kind of toss around this room and ask, why do you think Jesus wants us to be with him? The answer that he gives to that question is a really interesting one and probably not one that we would have guessed. Look at verse 24. I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Why? So that they may see my glory which you have given me. Jesus says, Father, I want them to come to be with me so that they can see my glory. I want them to see it. I want them to experience all of my glory that I will have when I return to you. Jesus has referenced multiple times in the Upper Room Discourse the fact that he longed. He longed to be returned to the glory that he had with God the Father before the foundation of the world. 
That when he was with the Father, it was just him and the Father and the Spirit. That, that he was glorious, but Jesus, in submission to the Father's will, remember, took on flesh. He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. And one of the things that he gave up in doing that was this glory. We know that because he's longing to be returned to that glory. When we talked about this in the past, we talked about all the significance of what Jesus gave up when he took on flesh. It heightens our worship of Jesus, that he gave up this glory. And, and, and we see here that all the time he's on earth, he can't wait to be returned to that state with God. I can't wait, Father, to come back with you and be glorified together with you. And Father, I can't wait for these men and women to be with me so that they can see that glory. Jesus wants you to see it. Which is interesting because Jesus has spent a lot of time explaining exactly who he is and his relationship to the Father. But in this prayer, what we see is that he doesn't just want us to know it. He wants us to see it. You ever, ever tell a story or you know, a, a funny scenario and as, you, as, you're telling, as you're telling this thing that happened and you just thought it was hilarious, you're realizing like halfway through the story that it's not going to be funny because they weren't there to see it? You know I'm talking about? Where like at the end of the story you were like expecting a really good response and you're like... Yeah, you just had to be there. I've had a lot of stories like that. I had one uh, uh, a few months ago where it was, it was so funny. I had tears streaming down my face. I was laughing so hard. And everyone I told this story to just kind of looked at me funny. And every time, I, kept, I told it like 12 times, and nobody thought it was funny, but I kept crying. I was laughing so hard every time I told it. No one else got it. It was just like, you had to be there. It was, it was so good. Or like, like if, you've ever, if you've ever tried to describe a scene in words, but ultimately your words fall short. If you're, if you're trying to describe, describe the Grand Canyon to someone. You're like, man, I could be here all day explaining it to you, but until you're there and you see it, you're just not going to fully grasp it. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's like, he's telling us about his glory. He's telling us about his identity. But like at the end, he's just like, you know what? You just kind of have to be there. <laughs> you just kind of have to come and see it. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants us to come and see his glory. Apparently, it's going to be incredible. Because Jesus just can't wait for this moment when we get to see him. And it's not because he, he misses us or, or just, just really wants us to be reunited with him. Although that may be there. His desire here is because you are going to be floored by what you see. That, that's his desire. I want them to see me. I want them to see me in my glory for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So he says, Father, bring them to me. Just relish in that statement for a moment. Jesus wants you with him. He wants you. He wants you to be with him. And he's longing for that moment. Brings us to our sixth request. The sixth request of Jesus, and this is just a couple of verses. Father, number six, give them a godly love. Give them a godly love. Jesus says, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I've made your name known to them. Why? Why have I explained all of this? Why have I done all of this? So that the love with which you loved me may be in them. And I in them. Jesus says, I've said all of this. I've asked for all of this. That the love with which you loved me would be in them. Jesus wants you to have a love that is as great as the Father's love for Jesus. And this comes back to what we've already said when we're talking about unity. 
The Christian is to be defined by love. The Christian is to be defined by his care and his efforts towards unity and his kindness and his love, especially for the household of God, especially for other believers. So Jesus asked that, Father, give them a godly love. It's a lot of requests. Keep them faithful. Keep them from the enemy. Make them righteous. Keep them unified. Bring them to heaven and give them a godly love. When Jesus thinks of you, this is what he asks. It's just, it's, it's challenging, it's motivating, it's encouraging. It heightens our worship of Jesus to focus on his care for us as revealed in this passage. So as we dismiss the small groups, we'll talk about those, and now we can grow in pursuing those things that only God can help us to do. Father, thank you for your word through which we are sanctified. Thank you for your son who is so concerned for our growth. And thank you for your help in producing growth in us. We know we cannot do any of this alone. So Father, grant us the grace to pursue you, to know you better, to love you more, to be unified, to love each other more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed to small groups. We will see you in about half an hour. Yes. Debbie does.